Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. You are listening to the Buckley Club podcast. Uh, this is episode nine. I'm Jay Cobb. You can find me on Twitter at TBCJ. <laughs> With me today are Alex. No, I'm Alex. Twitter is ABWriter22. All right. And uh, Luis Mendez. Uh... Yeah, uh, I'm here. <laughs> Hi, Luis. And Eric Burns. Hey, uh, Eric Burns here. Uh, Twitter handle Rhino Cartoon. Rhino is in the Glorious Animal. Our first topic tonight, we're going to talk about uh, some of the recent news events. We've had uh, Donald Trump had uh, two news events that kind of uh, took over. Um, I guess they could almost be topics in their own right, but we're kind of just going to you know, talk about them together. Uh, the first issue was uh, in a debate earlier this week, uh, Hillary Clinton brought up the fact that he had been uh, extremely cruel to Miss Universe when he was in charge of that. Right, so yeah, he apparently, and the thing with Donald Trump is not only did he, um, you know, he could have said, yeah, that was 25 years ago, and uh, uh, or whenever it was, 20 years ago, and if you want to bring up, you know, old news, you know, he could have moved on, he could have kind of like, you know, pushed it down, instead... He goes on uh, on all the shows, uh, and he doubles down. He says, yeah, well, of course, she was fat. I guess Donald Trump just can't help himself. He's like a ch- no, he's like a ch- uh, Asperger's child in that respect. Yeah, I mean, he certainly has very poor impulse. Um, I, I was thinking, actually, uh, tweeted this, um, that it's kind of interesting because this story kind of, um, kind of resonated. I think it kind of put everything together. You have, uh, uh, you have the attitude towards women. You have the, the fact that, uh, he called her Miss housekeeper, Miss piggy. Uh, she's, uh, she's Venezuelan. Uh, you have, so you have the, the, the way he treats, um, people that disagree with Hispanics. He attacks anybody that even says one bad thing about him. Right, yeah, and uh, and the fact that you know she she was complaining about him not you know paying her what he's supposed to, uh, so you have the you know his poor business practices. It kind of all comes together, and it was perfect bait because um, the the professional way to deal with such a situation is uh, to downplay it and move on. Uh, Trump can't do that. He has to say no, I was right. He has to prove that, and the entire uh, vast right wing conspiracy theory uh, blogosphere. That Hillary uh, so much loves to hate. Also yeah, jumped right in on the action. Uh, they yeah, with the Trump the Trump part cl- Trump part click conservative snog cable. So what was interesting about the the uh, Machado story was that uh, so apparently the woman herself has not exactly um, had a uh, you know perfect life. Uh, she seems to have ties to, uh, you know, Mexican drug lords and, and whatnot. So you had uh, articles uh, on assorted right-wing, um, you know, even not just Breitbart places, but, like, you know, places that, oh, okay, maybe they're kind of, like, heading in that direction. But they can't resist uh, jumping on this and blaming and, you know, and attacking her. And what and the result that that has is that it keeps the story in uh, in the news for longer, and uh, and that hurts him even more. You know what I think really got got it to be such a major issue was that it was right after the debate 
when Hillary brought it up that Trump made all those comments like he like he did with making Kelly and the illusion of her and her menstrual cycle. The fact is, with no even with very watched debates like this, it isn't the debate itself, but the post-debate analysis and the post-debate narrative that really drives who won the debate and who's going to get a polling burst. Very, very true. Debate. I mean, he's just not – he doesn't have the professionalism to uh... – to to manage these uh he's good at making it about him he's good at getting the attention he's not good at making things look good for him yeah i thought uh chris caldwell at the the weekly standard made the made a really excellent point about this um he said that as he watches trump in moments like this it looks like trump prefers to be attacked in the spotlight than to have the spotlight on his opponent being attacked like he's he's so addicted to being the center of attention that he almost revels in these moments when there's a new accusation or or, or something to, to grab that spotlight, to be the, the focus of attention. He can't let it be about his opponent, yeah, even rather, if she's dangling. He would rather something be about him than uh, he would rather talk about his failure to re release his tax returns than about Hillary's, um, uh, than Hillary's emails. Yeah, people were criticizing Lester Holt uh, pretty severely for the debate. I, I think unfairly i think he was very fair i'm uh, not perfect but fair and uh gave him a lot of uh, a lot of latitude he totally squandered that latitude i mean he could have brought up any topic under the sun because he did and and lester holt let him bring up whatever he wanted to bring up he could have attacked hillary clinton in any myriad of ways he'd never mentioned the word obamacare he never mentioned so many things benghazi Benga never brought up he never yeah. mentioned benghazi they never mentioned Benghazi or basically the whole litany of Hillary scandals. Barely mentioned them. Yeah, uh, let's let's shift towards the other um, part of I guess we're going to call it Donald Trump's bad week. Uh, when this story came out, it kind of you know came out very quietly, and all of a sudden it became this this bombshell. Donald Trump uh, apparently in the nineties uh, had been uh, either trying or uh, skirting the laws or breaking the laws to do business in Cuba. This, uh, my, my initial reaction, uh, which I think Eric didn't agree with me, was that uh, right now Cuba is, you have uh, the Obama administration is opening up to Cuba. They uh, have an, uh, an acting ambassador in there right now who they are, uh, Obama is nominating to be a, uh, a regular ambassador. You have a lot of senators, uh, including Marco Rubio, have vowed that they're going to block this appointment as a formal ambassador to Cuba. Uh, it's a little bit of a tricky, uh, it's a little awkward for Hillary to be attacking Trump. Uh, mind you, right now, I think this is just news reports. I don't think the Hillary campaign has formally used it yet. Um, I'm not aware of that. Uh, but it would be kind of awkward for the Democrats to say, hey, you uh, did business with Cuba. That's not good. Cuba, Cuba, bad. Those people are bad people. And then Obama I think is it's, an ambassador. I think it's more of a way to no, way to like say, okay, here's another thing about Trump breaking the law. Oh, he thinks he's a billionaire. He's, no, he, can get, no, he can be above the law in this respect because he's so rich. I think it, it, no, it hit – It'll hit on the – they'll try, try and hit not on the Cuba aspect, but more on the Trump breaking the law aspect. Well, I think the Cuba aspect is is very important in this because of how important Florida is and how important 
the Repub normally Republican voting Cuban community is there for any Republican president yeah. presidential nominee chances. And, and look at it this way, Jay. So you, you raise a point. And I, I'm beginning to see your point where like people don't make the fine distinctions like the one I laid out in the Twitter conversation that we had. Like that's not a distinction. A lot of regular people. Well, why don't you repeat it again? Because I don't know if anyone listening here has followed every every Twitter thread. Yeah. So yeah, to summarize. So my point was that there's different sort of policies that you can have dealing with Cuba, and one policy is to sort of shut them out, right? Embargo. And in order for that policy to be effective, it needs people need to follow the law and not actually honor the embargo. And uh, that's what Trump undermined. That's policy Trump undermined. It's different to break the law and undermine that policy than it is to openly support a different policy, which is engagement. Now, you may agree or you may disagree with engagement as a policy, but no one's saying that, well, I shouldn't say no one, but like, I mean, you, can, you have a fair disagreement with Obama, assuming you disagree, that engagement is the right way to go. But you're not okay, looking now, Larry, at this. How would you how would you make a thirty second ad uh, out of that argument? Basically, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think that the way I would do it if I were uh, Team Blue is I would have a, a pack do it for me. I would have like concerned concerned Cuban citizens or whatever release an ad and say Trump undermined uh, the embargo by illegally. Uh, trading with the Cuban government or whatever, whatever. I don't know the actual details, but I think, I think if I'm, you know, if I'm the Obama administration, I don't want this issue to, to kind of fester. I don't want people thinking too much because if you ask a typical American, do you want to open up a, you know, trade with Cuba? They'll say yes. But if you ask them, uh, do you think we should be buddies with the Castros? They'll be like, uh, yeah, well, not really. I don't know why we need an ambassador there. So if I'm the Obama administration, I don't want this to fester in the news, but I do, um, my kind of my gut feeling is that they were sitting on this, uh, they had this in the oppo, they, they, they were waiting, they saw, you know, pretty recently that the polls were, were um, you know, not, not as good as they were earlier, and they said, okay, we just gotta, we just gotta go ahead with this. That's, well, that's look, my, at, look at it. So, so whether or not you can effectively attack with this, at the very least, worst case scenario, you're taking an attack out of his hands. Because if this hadn't happened, Trump could go on the offensive on this issue in Florida to try to to try to leverage the yeah. Cuban community. Now that rings hollow. It's like, well, you're just as bad as, as Obama. You're worse because you're breaking the law. Ironically, I think this helps Marco Rubio because it gives him you know it gives him a a wedge issue to disagree with Trump saying I disagree with Trump on this and I will but fight he's still Trump, endorsing on this. Trump I mean it's okay for him like at some point you got to say uh, I mean I don't know if you got to say but people are going to start you know Marco you know we love you but why are you still hanging hanging out with with Trump when he um especially you know Cubans Cubans are very loyal uh, so that's you know the impression you know, they like Marco. He's from their community. The question is, I think they, I think that he's walked the perfect line to show that he's no, to show the people that no, the Cuban Americans and the Hispanics that could vote Republican, that he's not a Trump Republican and that he, that he will fight no matter what. No, the how much Trump can he keep on doing bad. that? How much can he keep on doing that and still endorse? I think it depends on the indiv I think it really depends on the individual because someone like uh who nobody really knows about 
I don't think they can. But Rub no, Rubio was na no, on national TV in the national debates showing that he opposed the Trump policies. I think that gives him a bit of leverage. Interesting. Uh, okay, so I think that kind of, you know, sums up those things. Uh, we'll have to, uh, from the uh, point of view, uh, I think this week overall with the debate, the post-debate, as well as this uh, this Cuba story, uh, this has not been a, a great week for Trump. We still have uh, about, uh, what is it, five and a half weeks to go. Um, I, I the longest five and a half weeks of our lives. Uh, okay, uh, we're going to get started uh, talking about, hopefully if we get Lewis back, about the polls and uh, and the forecast industry. Uh, Lewis can give us a um, bit of an overview. Over to you, Lewis. All right. Uh, okay, so if anyone noticed over at the Buckley Club, I set up a thing that I'm calling the forecast of forecasters. And basically, the thing is, is that everybody the other day was freaking out because Nate Silver had his forecast and he was claiming that the election was too close to call. It was a dead heat. Yeah, and he got into arguments with, um, um, I think it's David Rothschild from PredictWise and some other really smart math uh, election guys. And um, in, if anybody who knows Nate, uh, if you go back to 2014, he was getting into arguments with Sam Wang, and um, he is a professor who tries to do election forecasting himself, and he's been Sam known Wang to have some damn bias. And um, Silver ended up coming out looking like the champ there because Silver was saying that it would be a Republican year. Well, this year, things are a little different because the forecasters are arguing with Silver because he seems to have made his model this year to be very volatile and easy to react to any poll movement. Now, granted, he's not arguing with partisans here. He's arguing with good forecast guys with just as good records as him, if not better. So everyone was freaking out. So I said, you know what? Uh, I've noticed that if you look at history, when you combine and average the forecasts out, you can get a really good picture of what will probably happen on election day compared to if you were just going by the poll averages. So I went ahead and did that, created my own thing. And basically I found different forecasts and folks do not, I don't think folks realize just how many forecasts there are out there. I, I have found over 60 forecasts and they range from just, using polls to create simulations or averaging them out like I do at my election site to people who use economic data, people who use biographical data, uh, people who use historical data, people who use the, the markets, uh, who's betting on who, uh, asking voters regardless who they're voting for, who do they think is going to win. There are so many different ways that you can try to predict uh, elections. So I've, gathered them all up, divided them into categories, averaged them out, and what I keep getting is that Hillary Clinton is, doesn't seem to be getting some huge landslide right now, but she is consistently ahead. Silver has been arguing that the race is closer than that with the other forecasters. Now keep in mind, polling can be very volatile uh, compared to other methods. Uh, in fact, I went back and looked, and at this point in 2014, there were actually some polls that still claimed 
Mark Udall was up in Colorado. Uh, there were polls claiming the South Dakota Senate race was getting close. So uh, right now, the state of the race is that it basically comes down to what you think is going on. Everybody's got their own bias. It depends what forecast you're looking at. But if you combine the forecast and you look at the overall, what you're seeing overall, it seems to me that Hillary, she's, she took a hit for a couple bad weeks. Uh, but that debate has really helped her to kind of pull away uh, based on the early numbers we're getting. So what this all means is that um, there's tons of polls out there. Uh, it all kind of more or less points to overall on average. It points to the fact that, that, that we're looking at a, a Hillary win, uh, probably not a huge blowout. Right. Uh, we're, not, we're not seeing the kind of numbers we were seeing like in, after the DNC where there was talk about maybe is South Carolina in play, though I would point out that there was a poll out today in South Carolina that showed it closer than usual. But she has consistently held well, off. Interesting. We, um, let's talk a little bit about Nate Silver's uh, the 538 forecast. Uh, it's been jumping all over the place. You've had over there, you had at one point he had – uh, Trump for what I think it was for six hours he had Trump ahead. But, Ironically, um, when you look at the shading of the states, it still showed Hillary Clinton winning the electoral college. Yeah, it was a little bit crazy. I mean, his forecast basically takes a um, an average of of the electoral. It, it shows the the. I mean, the electoral college is discrete, and he's showing it as you know just like a long spectrum. Uh, he was giving Gary Johnson 0.3 of an electoral vote, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, another thing that uh, was interesting, Atticus uh, Goldfinch in, in the Bucket Club was pointing this out on Twitter. Uh, he was saying that the uh, one thing Nate Silver's uh, model does is that it takes all of the states. Uh, and he was pointing out that Oregon, at some point, he had 25% chance of Trump winning Oregon, which is just absurd. I mean, this this very, you know, Oregon hasn't gone Republican in, in forever. It's not going to happen for the first time under it, under Trump. It nearly um, it went nearly went for Bush in two thousand, but but no, with a gore margin of like seven thousand votes, but that was sixteen years ago. Yeah. Uh I mean it's it's a it's a D plus what is it, plus ten or so? I think it's gotten more D in the you know, more D since Obama. No, since Obama, it had a Republican senator to like two thousand eight. Yeah, but that's you know that's already going back. If they had a Republican senator in two thousand eight, I mean, the last time a Republican won statewide for anything was like two thousand and two. You're not going to get a state like True. that that hasn't had a Republican victory in that long. They've had Democrat governors since forever. They currently have two Democrat senators. Uh, just, I don't know how many members of Congress they have, but I think it's a majority, you know, Democrat there yeah. as well. Yeah, it it has five members of Congress, only one is a Republican, and it doesn't even fit the general description of what Democrats Trump might even you know flip. Like he, if yeah. he's gonna flip anything, he's gonna flip Iowa or Maine second congressional district, where all the working class. Because over there, you got you got a lot of rural areas, and you got a um a lot of uneducated um uneducated whites, which which is where that's like the only constituency that Trump is gonna win more. Uh, you don't have that much as in Oregon. I mean, maybe you do have a bit, but not enough to win you, the state. The ones that 
are there already vote Republican, like in the eastern mountainous areas. Mm-hmm. Most of east most of eastern Oregon is either suburban communities or hippie areas, old hippie seaside areas. Right. Are there a lot of Mormons in Oregon? Anyone know? I think I think uh, there are they, they do have. What was that, Lewis? I was I was gonna say yeah, they do have a Mormon population, but not like not as dominant as uh, you would find in uh, Utah or I think even in Nevada. Mm-hmm. I mean, all you need is one or two percent of uh, of Mormon. Yeah. Or, or more, and uh, that's like an entire, you know, 2% that, that's, that's gone away and isn't coming back. So, so back to, you know, Nate Silver's po- uh, model, if he's using um, Oregon as, as 20% or even 10%, the, the actual odds, yeah, based, think- on, based on basic logic, I mean, what would, what would both you guys, uh, uh, or Eric as well, if he wants to chime in, uh, what, what, what odds would you no, give uh- for a Trump victory in Oregon? I would give a ch- ch- odds for Trump victory in Oregon at best five percent. Alex, uh, what would you? Two percent. I, I think it's even lower than that. I think that if he yeah, wins, I think it's lower than that also. I think it's just a highly unlikely event. But the election where he where Oregon went red is would be a like a like a Mondale type of landslide victory. I mean, I wouldn't say Mondale. Like, maybe I well, wouldn't. Maybe, 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 it would need to be that. It would like need to be a landslide. Odd. Like a Dukakis, yeah, HW and eighty-eight landslide. I will guess what Nate is trying to do is to say, well, if you if if you know, there's a slight chance at an upset. I guess because, especially after some forecasters got burned with some of these races in twenty fourteen, one of the best examples is well, you. You in can't Virginia, do that. They, I mean, that's your job. If you're going to forecast, you're going to predict. You can't just say, well, I don't know. I'm just going to call everything a tie, and then. Uh, and then, then I can't be wrong because you know, okay, you know, it was a dead heat, and then it flipped one way. I was, I would agree, but I mean, another thing is that I don't know. I, uh, our own Kilgore uh, Trout has been saying that maybe Nate just isn't as confident this year. Well, I'm a little confused why, why we give him this sort of podium and give him like all this attention. Like, could you name three other pollsters? Well, I mean, Lewis probably could, but like the rest of us probably maybe not. I mean, why? Well, you, why mean, is, uh, you mean forecasters? Yeah, th- I'm sorry. That's what I meant. Because Nate's not uh, a pollster. No, no. I'm sorry. I misspoke. But I mean, like. Well, I like think Nate has his stature because um, I think he kind of, he was a pioneer in sort of like this style, uh, the the internet, um, you know, blogger style. Uh, he started, he was actually unprofessional. I think he started on his own 538.com originally. And then, mm-hmm. uh, then he was he was bought out I by think, the New York Times. New York Times and then ESPN. I think he got his, his start by predicting every state correct in 2000, 2008. Then he got he got a lot of stature for that, and then got hired by the New York Times. He's he's a credible he's a credible uh, uh, what's what's the right word prediction guy. Um, I mean he's he's forecaster. credible. He's ha- forecaster. Sorry, I'm. Well, there is a there is some but, kind of uh, uh, technical term. What's it? I don't know. Only like um, I don't know. Is it? Is he an aggregator? I have to look up or? The pronunciation because no one normally uses it. Uh, something oh, okay. like philosophy. Sophology. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That. I think it's a oh. dumb word. I mean, it's not a normal word people use. Uh, only like uh, you know, uh, people in the field kind of like British want to have it a lot. you know. But but I mean he's not the he's not the Michael Jordan of forecasters right I mean he's not the best no. forecaster there's ever been and ever will be I mean people give I him think Eric, I think the 
He's not, but I think his reputation until this year is kind of like that. And maybe you're right. Maybe it wasn't warranted. I don't think it's. I think he deserves a reputation as as a very credible forecaster. But I think that people give him give him I don't way think more he's the gold stature than that. I wouldn't consider him like the nope. gold, the and, ultimate and, gold standard. And by the way, I don't think it's his fault that people give him that level of stature. I don't. I don't, you know, my sense is that he doesn't present himself as the voice of God or anything. People, there's another thing also that he has. He's kind of like picked fights, or I don't know if he's done deliberately, but there definitely was that impression that um, have, have, sit with Sam Wang is that his name? But they they have their little. I wasn't even gonna say Sam Wang, but there, there's there's basically there's the data journalists, and then there's the the kind of like pundits, traditional beat journalists. pundits, what? professors. Yeah, just the, the traditional pundits. So you have the traditional pundits, and they'll talk about um, all the different factors. And a lot of them, you know, don't really want to get into the details of the polls. They're not sure, you know, which polls are accurate or whatever it is. Uh, Nate Silver kind of like, he was right when a lot of them were wrong in a lot of elections, uh, where they were kind of showing, hey, well, we have in this county and that county and, and this many of, of this demographic and that many of that demographic. And he looked straight at the polls and, and built a model uh, and he was right, and, and and they were wrong, and I don't think they've actually, you know, they've forgiven him for that. Well, so there's a lot of that that I'm well, going on. It's, it's, it's like Nate, I I feel like he kind of lucked, not not necessarily lucked in in skills, but in terms of the reputation he got, because um, he's not the first to be trying this out. I mean, Scott Elliott at election projections, Sam Wang, uh, th- uh, those guys have been doing that before Nate was uh, doing this. Uh, but he Nate just happened to be that guy that kind of just blew up in the media, and, and I, I do wonder. Right now, I think right now all the models are about the same, um, in in terms of you know they're all more or less at the same uh, sophistication. I think. Yeah, the popular ones they're they're either simulating with the polls, they're trying to do their own Nate Silver like model, they're trying to average, or something like predict wise where they try to use market data. Uh, the other there's other ones that nobody basically knows even exists by professors and such. Are you guys familiar with uh, Bill James uh, uh, in baseball, the sabermetrics movement? A little I bit, mean, yeah. I, no, I, I yeah, yeah, the, a little bit. I kind of look at the I'm Nate Silver. Of, I'm not much of a baseball I think fan. Nate started out as a Bill James guy, and he kind of like applied it to politics. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of political sabermetrics. He's trying to do. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that going on, and I think that a lot more data doing it less. kind of before other people. Oh, I don't know. Lewis says that these other guys are doing it, but I don't know. No one really ever heard of them. Somehow, there's a guy yeah, lightning yeah, in a bottle. Yeah, exactly. And, Nate, Nate's the yeah. guy who blew up. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's, he's, guy, like, he's got he people noticed. Yeah, he applied it to politics, yeah, and he, uh, and he um and he and he had a, a knack for for blogging that um uh was was popular. He explored. Yeah, and I think he's kind of uh, he's not perfect, and that's all. Yeah, I mean, I think he's well, very not, good at what he well, does. Nope. He's just not. He's just not as. He's just not at the. He's just not this like seminal transformative figure that I think people think that he is, and and I he can be wrong. I, I mean, and I'm, I think he'd probably be the first to admit that he can be wrong sometimes. It's not. Surprising. I think that makes sense. Okay, the next topic is going to be about. Uh, let's talk about Gary Johnson and his uh, his gaffes and his. What's going on with him? Isn't he in Aleppo now? Where's that? Well, what's that? 
No, maybe he's the guy who refused to stop and ask for directions. Well, I mean, if anyone needs to be careful running for president, committing those sorts of gaffes, but particularly if you are the libertarian candidate who owns a marijuana company, that's not, these are not the gaffes you want to be making. Yeah, especially in a year that you're actually might get a significant chunk of the vote. Oh, oh, he blew it. I mean, he could have, he could have really blown up this year in a good way. I mean, he could have really, this, this would, would have been the perfect storm year for a libertarian candidate to, to do yeah, much and he better. Actually had, he actually had, an, no, he was a governor. His vice presidential nominee was, an, was a governor. The, he was asked, what was it? I don't even know where he was, but he was asked in an interview what, um, who his favorite foreign leader. Who's someone he admired, not favorite, right? Someone he admired. Yeah. Who is someone currently in uh, a current, a world leader that he admired? Now, it's a bit of a gotcha question. It's a bit of an odd question. You're running for president. Uh, it's kind of like a, a trip than a... Yeah, name okay. a current world leader who you admire. Any name, any name at all was the way it was presented. And I think it was an, sort of a follow-up to the Aleppo thing. It's like basically, uh, who was the guy interviewing? Was it Chris Matthews or someone else? But uh, he, he's basically like you've de- you've demonstrated ignorance on foreign policy. Here's a real softball. Demonstrate that you can at least name a world figure and say something intelligent about them. He could have said, "Oh well, the Pope is great." He, he wouldn't even had to remember the Pope's name. He could have just said the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> well, when he ran four years ago, I mean, no one really paid attention to him. But was he bumbling around like this? Did he did he really leave? No, he actually, in well, he was in a debate once in 2012 in one Republican debate, and he did make an, uh, a quip, said that my dog created more shovel-ready jobs than Obama did. He wasn't that bad in 2012. I wonder if the pressure might be getting to him a bit. I mean, because he's getting a lot more attention than he was four years ago. I mean, he's, he's sitting there, and he's, he's actually showing up in the polls. He's on the verge of breaking the libertarian record for votes for a presidential candidate of theirs. I think he so I still break the record, even with everything, just as a function of how horrible everyone else is. And then Bill Weld seems like almost, I mean, uh, I, I hope this doesn't sound too insulting, but it sounds like Bill Weld's like the adult holding his hand sometimes. Well, he was trying to answer the question, um, and he had an ans- answer prepared. He was starting to answer it, and uh, the interviewer cut him off. I mean, he could have answered it. I mean, if he were at the top of the ticket, he would be a much better candidate than Gary Johnson. I think Bill Weld could get like Gary Johnson had a brain freeze, and Bill Weld started answering the question for him. Is that what happened? He started to, but the interviewer cut him off. (laughs) That's kind of funny. If you watch Bill Weld with Gary Johnson, I mean, Bill looks like he knows how to run a competent campaign, or at least how to present himself. Yeah, Bill Weld is the guy that won seventy-two percent of the vote in Massachusetts as a Republican. He's Hobbs standing behind Calvin saying something crazy all the time. It's like rolling his eyes. <laughs> uh, and, and just to go a little bit on a tangent, but I believe afterwards they started asking um, Hillary and, and Trump also, and you heard that they, they both <laughs> praised um, the same person as someone they admire, uh, Angela Merkel in, uh, in Germany. So that's kind of interesting. Not- She's in the news a lot. <laughs> This is probably just like a natural, a natural thing to say. So I think eventually it's starting to get, it's starting to get silly that it's becoming a question that everyone has to answer. 
Why? Know, and especially if you're running to be president, you don't want to. If you're if you're going to be president, you don't want to be publicly talking about other leaders in a way where you have to like evaluate them. Well, well, That's listen, it's not if, very diplomatic. Can you imagine any credible candidate getting that question and breaking a sweat? I mean, any credible candidate could. Oh yeah, for sit, sure. I mean, I think that Gary Johnson not being able to answer it shows he's not. You know he's not ready to uh, to run for for dog catcher, but and, and silly questions are part of the business. There's always going to be silly questions. There's always going to be yeah. like, what's your favorite yeah. Bible verse or or whatever? What what newspapers do you read or whatever? I mean, it it's just part of the territory, and they need to be able to handle yeah. serious and silly questions. And every and what this one was probably in between the two. Yeah, I mean Obama pioneered doing those when he went on the. No, like Jimmy Fallon or what, whatever. No, that or he went on that YouTube thing where the interviewer was the one who took a bath in in milk Cheetos or something. No, I think it was Fruit Loops. That was embarrassing. So let's let's go on to the uh, to the question of the week. And the question of the week we're gonna have this week is uh, there was a recent uh, thing in the news that uh, SpaceX is talking about planning a trip to Mars. Would you or would you not go to Mars? It's a two-way trip. You'll, you might be able to come back. Uh, and why? Alex. First, uh, first of all, I think that NASA should go to Mars. The U.S. Oh, flag should be the first flag to be planted on, the, on Martian soil, just like on the moon. It's a matter of patriotism. But as to whether I would go to Mars... I would only go if it was a two-way trip. I would not go if I was going to be stranded there. Okay. Uh, I guess we're going to go to a... No, I would not go. I, I won't even get on a plane, man. No, well, it's not a plane. It's a jet. Um, it's, a right. it's not no, a jet. No, no, no. I can't, I can't do heights. I can't do any of that. So the trip ain't that's happening on the show. But if you can do... Okay, yeah, that's kind of the... Uh, um, all right, uh, Eric. Um, I don't think I would go. I don't particularly care for travel, and that's a lot of travel. But I, there are some people I would nominate for that trip. <laughs> like that episode in The Simpsons where the ro- one rocket headed to Mars, the other headed for the sun. <laughs> I think uh, I would. Uh, I think I would actually be interested. I mean, uh, the, the well on a on a pure practical thing, I think they said that uh, there's not going to be any children. So I have I have children, so that's not going to work. But uh, just in general, whatever is a two, three-year trip, uh, I could see myself doing it if I didn't have, uh, you know, obligations and such. Um, but they said you have to be prepared to die, if I remember correctly. I watched yeah, The Martian, so I'm prepared. Like, you know, that's just what they say. They don't really mean it, do they? Well, <laughs> do they? You saw The Martian. <laughs> did Did anybody see The Martian like I did? Are you talking about the movie or, or a specific Martian? Yeah. No, I, I haven't oh, seen it yet. Is it good? Yeah, it's a re- it's a really good movie. Does it make yeah, you want to go to Mars or not go read, to Mars? I read the book also. Um, so basically, the premise there is you have an astronaut who was uh, left for dead, and he he manages to survive on on Mars for like two years or something, whatever it is. Uh, but this plan is to have a whole colony to send a hundred people together, and to uh, once you have people there, the plan is to 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 have a uh, a presence that will just stay there. It's like, uh, you know, and it seems like he hasn't worked out that I mean, he thinks the travel will, will just take about, you know, two, three months or something. That's, uh, yeah, it's suddenly, you know, the atmosphere is in 
Well, yeah, they'd have to build like self-contained facilities. Yeah, they've done testing on Earth. They've put people in domes, like in well, there was one in Hawaii, and they had to stay there a year, and they weren't they they kept them in contained. It's like basically had them pretend that they're on Mars, and they got shipments of supplies every so many weeks. They should have ran back in and waited for next year. With how yeah, they, they, they just came out in the, in the middle of this election, you know, after not having any news for a year. So that was, I'm sure, very interesting for them. <laughs> Put me back in the dome. I don't want to be in here. Hey, well, uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, sorry about the connection issue that some of us had. Uh, hope you listen again next week. You're listening to the Bucket Club podcast. I'm Jay, and with me for this episode have been Alex. Hey. Thanks for joining us, Alex. No yeah. problem. Eric. Have a good one, everybody. Uh, uh, Eric as well was with us. A pleasure. And uh, and Lewis as well. Get him with the hop. Shut up, Kyle.